you need to know what you can lose, what could go wrong. And they say you don't know what you don't know, but you better know what you can know, what can go wrong, like an oil tank, like problems with break-ins, bad neighborhoods, foundation issues, things that you can detect before you buy a property. So if your downside risk doesn't include all those things, you need to rethink your numbers and how you're going about this business. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, Smart Move can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Alan Schlafrock. How you doing, Alan? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? Oh, I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Alan. He's been investing in real estate for nine years. He's been involved in over 100 real estate transactions ranging from single family homes to multifamily apartment buildings based in Long Island, New York. With that being said, Alan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So I was working as a commodities trader out of college on Wall Street and the industry kind of pivoted away from floor traders. I used to be one of those guys who did all the screaming and throwing the papers on the floor and making hand gestures, sometimes not such (laughs) nice hand gestures. But that business kind of got disrupted and it went electronic and I was kind of forced to look for a new job. I was fortunate to have a little bit of capital saved up and I've always wanted to get involved in real estate. And I had some friends who were involved in the industry and I started investing alongside them. Eventually I went out on my own and I've been buying smaller multifamily properties across the country. Well, really in Northern New Jersey ever since. And I was involved in the tax deed space also down South in Atlanta. And I bought a few properties also outside of my geographical area. And uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. I've been using the Burr method. I've been building my portfolio. And now uh, starting from that point, kind of a sour point in my life when I wasn't sure exactly where I was going to go, built up a nice portfolio. And this is what I do full time now. Well, I would love to dig in here. So let's talk about you investing alongside your friends to start and get acclimated. What were some deals that you invested in? 
that's actually a funny story. And it's a little bit covered in my book. They were also doing, they were renovating property. What's what's your book Oh, the name of the book is How Not to Make Money in Real Estate. It's available on Amazon. So basically what it is, is a lot of lessons I learned, a lot of tough lessons I learned uh, in this industry, being in this industry for so long, starting from a place where I had no idea what I was doing to where I am today. And it's pretty humorous. Some of the stories, some of it are pretty scary, but definitely some lessons for investors in there that I think people should definitely take heed to. Okay. So let's talk about that. Investing alongside with friends. So I, basically all I was doing was giving the money that I had earned and uh, they were investing it for me and uh, flipping the properties in some of these lower income areas. And they were doing well. The partnership did not end well because they weren't really buying these properties. It was a little bit of a Ponzi scheme, whatever, but um, long story. <laughs> but the, the, the bottom line bit, is- Can I just quote you on that? It was a little bit of a Ponzi scheme, whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can't just skip over that. Please elaborate it, it, a little it, bit it, more. It seems that what was happening was uh, this is kind of after I got out and I started going out on my own. They were just taking properties from investors saying, hey, I bought this in this house. Wash, rinse, repeat, keeping the money. And uh, they left a lot of investors on the hook. So uh, that's pretty much what happened. I didn't necessarily get burned. I was already out well before some of this stuff started to happen. That is where I cut my teeth, though. I would go to the property and I would check them out and get a feel for kind of the market and how these renovations worked and what I should be looking for. So it wasn't the worst thing for me. I got a little bit lucky not getting hurt. That's kind of where jail? I cut my teeth in this industry. No, no. not that I know of. Huh. I don't keep in touch. I don't have right. Google search alerts on these guys. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. I don't uh, want to know. Right. Fair enough. All right. So you were investing alongside people who were allegedly flipping properties. Turns out they weren't, but you got out. You said you were looking at the property. So you were attempting to follow along as they were allegedly doing their business model. Yeah. And again, I think that it started off just like a lot of these things do. It started off where these things were legit. And then eventually they got to a point where they got in trouble and then they just started taking on new investors to pay off the old investors. But that, that wasn't when I was around, but that's when I started to understand kind of the process of renovating and flipping houses. And eventually I would transfer to the Burr method. Okay. So that all I right. can grow so, my portfolio. All right. So then we'll transition into that part of your investing career. So you had been investing passively, learning a little bit, and then you went into your own deals. What were the first couple deals that you did on your own? Well, the first deal I did on my own was actually an absolute nightmare. And it's in the book. It was a three-family home. I got a really good deal on it. It was a short sale. It was in really good condition, moving condition. I was paying about $120,000 for it. And three units that were going to each rent for about 1000 bucks a piece. No work. It's a grand slam as far as the Burr method, the 1%, 2% is even like 3% rule. And where so, is it located? It was located in northern New Jersey. Okay. What's so, the town? Um, Just curious. This one was in Newark. Newark. All right. All right. So it, it, it can be a tough area. It can be, but you got to know the block and the different neighborhoods there because there's a lot of opportunity there, but you really need to be specific on where you're investing. At that time, I did not. I just took someone's word for it. Like, oh, yeah, it's a great block. It was not a great block. So we were closing on, I think, a Friday, and I go to do the walkthrough on Thursday because I didn't have to be there on Friday for the closing. It was a close by mail kind of thing. So we go there on Thursday. We try to get into the house just to do one final checkup and the keys are locked in the lockbox. The broker can't get them out. Okay. The place is secure. I looked in the windows, no damage, nothing going on in there, no floods. Fine. So I don't show up on Friday because I don't have to, to close my mail. So I come back on Monday and I need to get the keys, but it turned out I didn't need the keys because over the weekend, somebody had kicked in the door, destroyed the entire house, took out all the heating elements, all the electric elements, took a sledgehammer to everything for no apparent reason. There was no profit in them for them just to destroy my kitchens and bathrooms. 
You know, I understand they were trying to get to the pipes and everything, but they did way more damage than they had to do through these 150 pound cast iron radiators down the stairs, again, for just the metal value, destroy the entire stairs. They wound up doing as much damage to the house as I paid for the house. Oh my so that's how God. much the repairs cost. I didn't make a head like sometimes happens with insurance claims. It was just, that's how much the insurance claim was. I hired an adjuster and it took another six months to get the renovation done, to get the tenants in. And then since it wasn't the best neighborhood, I had problems with tenants. I wound up selling it for a little more than I paid. It wasn't a great deal. And the reason it wasn't a great deal was because I didn't know enough about the neighborhood to know that this wasn't really a great place to invest. And on top of that, I didn't secure the place fast enough. What I do is when I buy a vacant house, especially in an area that's kind of rough, is we'll put on those metal gates that I'm sure you've seen around. We don't even use plywood. They'll just take that right off like some of the banks do. We'll put on those metal gates, secure it. And at that point, it becomes too much of a hassle to break into and they'll move on to another house. So that are some of the lessons I learned from my very first deal, which wound up obviously being a little bit hairy. Hmm. The insurance claim, will you elaborate a little bit more on that, how you were having to be out of pocket $120,000? Well, the cost to repair the damage that they did was $120,000. The entire inside of the house had to be rebuilt, and that's what insurance paid me, and that's roughly what I paid out because it was a lot of damage. And this was in the pit of the crisis. This is when properties were really cheap, so I was buying a house for $120,000. Off the bat, it was worth two hundred. Right. So I was already getting a good deal. That's without me even putting a nail on the wall. So the insurance company paid you 120000 and it cost you 120000 to do those repairs. So it was a net zero effect. Am I yeah, right? exactly. Okay, got it, got it. So you got reimbursed. Which is what they all... want. Right, so you got reimbursed. Yeah, I recovered. Everything. Minus okay. the deductible, whatever. All right, so yeah. it was an inconvenience, uh, and also it delayed your renovation plan. Yes, but it was also an educational delay because I learned a lot about what I'm not supposed to be doing, what I should be doing going forward. So I've made a lot of mistakes in this business. Every investor does. And one thing, and I say it in the book, is that I never make the same mistake twice. I learn from it and I move on and I do a better job next time. Mm -hmm. All right. So deal number one, nightmare starting out. What about deal number two? Deal number two is actually a property that I still own. It was also in not the best area. It was also needed a lot of work and we had issues with break-ins and things like that. But this was a newer construction, so it was a little bit easier to fix. The renovation cost wasn't that high. And at that point, I decided some of these properties, because this was before the market really started to rally. I mean, we're talking about 2013, especially in like northern New Jersey. The market only really recovered within the last few years because of the long foreclosure process. There's still a backlog of those. So at that point, once I did the renovations, there wasn't enough spread in there for me to flip it. So I just said, okay, you know what? I'll keep this. I'll rent it. And I'm in for very little, and now it's six years later, and it's been doing very well for me. So that was kind of when I started thinking of pivoting towards being a landlord. So with your Burr method, you mentioned that you've been doing the Burr method. How many properties have you done the Burr method on? At this point, probably around 20, 25. And you're not living in each of those properties. You're just renovating them and then refinancing out and moving on. Right, exactly. I had some capital and I raised a little bit more to start this. And now it's just, once the ball starts rolling downhill with the Burr method, it gets easier and easier. It's the first few deals that are always the hardest to get and the hardest to finance and just the hardest to get started in this business. But once you do the first few and once that ball gets rolling, it just snowballs and your business can really increase. So let's talk about, you said in addition to the properties that you're doing, in your area, you also did tax deeds in Atlanta. How did you get into that? And can you just describe the business model? 
Yeah, I had a buddy of mine who was in that business a few years before we got in. Basically, they go down and what they do is they, you've got a tax lien on a property. Most people are familiar with tax liens. Somebody doesn't pay their taxes. Government will put a lien on their property for the amount due plus interest. Now, once those liens go unpaid in a lot of deed states, for example, Georgia's one, I believe Texas is one, and most states use tax deeds eventually, but it's not necessarily a viable business. But So they will auction off the deed to the property in a place like Georgia for the amount owed in taxes plus the premium that you pay plus a 20% interest on top of that. At least that's what it used to be. I'm not sure if they changed it. So nobody come shoot me about that. So we'd go down there and let's say there was a property that was worth $50,000. If I buy that tax lien at $25,000 and I wind up having to foreclose on it, which you can do after a year, and I'm only going to be in for $25,000 plus the court costs and the foreclosure fees would be about $7,000. If I'm in for $32,000 on a $50,000 house, I'm doing pretty well. And I would just wholesale them and sell them. Or on that $25,000, I would get a 20% interest penalty, which is state mandated, can't be lower, can't be higher. I mean, you could negotiate it, but there's no reason to. So I'd be getting an extra $5,000 on top of my $25,000 investment. How'd you get into that? And are you still doing it today? Again, I got into it. A buddy of mine was doing that. And we went down there and we started doing our research, tended a few auctions before we bought. And it was a little bit of a pain for me to fly down from New York to Atlanta, but I was going there once a month. Once we learned the business, we bought a few and then we took on some investors and we bought a bunch more. And we were managing this portfolio of tax deed properties. We had our legal team down there. We had people there to do the renovations, secure the properties after we bought them. I was doing that for a while, but it became a little bit of a hassle for me to fly up and down there. It also got really competitive. Right. And a lot of money was coming down from New York and the other coast trying to invest in that as well. And I really wanted to focus on building a portfolio of long-term wealth because we were making money, we were paying investors and we were making a living, but I wasn't building any equity really because I wasn't hanging on to the houses. And I didn't want to hang on to the houses down there because out of state, it just seemed a little bit cumbersome for me. So I wanted to pivot and focus towards my home market. So you live in Long Island. A lot of investors who are in the New York City area would say, and I was certainly guilty of this when I was living there. I lived in New York City for 10 years. I would say, hey, it's just too expensive to buy around here. I'm going to go to the south, to the Midwest, to the southeast. But you're buying in New Jersey. And describe the process for how you find deals, please. And then the typical numbers on a deal. So you're definitely right about that. A lot of people in New York find it extremely difficult to buy here. And it's not just because it's expensive and taxes are high, which is the excuse that everybody gives, but it's super competitive. There's a lot of money here chasing very few deals. And it's New York. People hustle. It's really hard to find deals here. But what people didn't realize was that in their own backyard, there was a really excellent market which has shown a ton of growth over the last years. And that's some of the cities in northern New Jersey, like Newark, like Jersey City, like Elizabeth. People that they associate with, oh, it's New Jersey, it's terrible, it stinks. But there was a huge opportunity there over the last few years and people kind of missed out on. So since New Jersey and New York also has the longest foreclosure process in the country, the judicial foreclosure process, there were still REO deals, a lot of them, up until, let's say, two years ago, which suppressed prices and also gave investors a little more time to get into deals than they would have in other parts of the country. So that was kind of one of the advantages of sticking it out here and being in this business since 2010, 2011, waiting for that appreciation. And also I got bank-owned deals, which are, I think, a lot harder to come by in other parts of the country. What's the last deal you purchased? I actually just closed on something last week in Jersey City. It's a two-family house. Most of my properties there are two-family houses because that's just the way the housing stock is made up. There's not a lot of single-family houses in these cities. And the ones that are just aren't profitable. But when you've got two units, 
you tend to get more rent per square foot than you would for the same amount of beds and baths on a single family. That's just the way it is. So it's a two family. It needs a lot of work. There are tenants in there. We just contacted them. Not sure if they're staying or not, but it's fine if they don't, because I know that I can go in, do the renovations, force appreciation, do a couple other things that need to be done. There's an oil tank to be removed, which I already have a quote on. Heat needs to be replaced, which I already have a quote on. And we're going to either rent it or we're going to sell it, depending on how the numbers work out. And I'll tell you this, I got a call from a broker yesterday. She wanted to buy something else from me that I'm not selling. And she can get me already $40,000 more than I paid last week. So that's always nice when you hear that. But we got to see. I got to do the renovations, force that appreciation, because that's really the only way to make money, especially in a super competitive market like New Jersey. You have to find things to renovate and force that appreciation and therefore force up the rents if that's what you're doing. Otherwise, there's really no way to make money. What's the purchase price for that two-family house? It was around 310000 310000 And when you're running the numbers to force appreciation and think about where you're headed with a property, what numbers are important to you? Basically, the rent roll and my cost of money, I'm fortunate that I'm able to get really good financing from community banks. And again, that's something that gets easier with time. You're not going to be able to do that the first one, two, three deals you do. Once you get a reputation and you've got some seasoning on your properties and you've got some seasoning on your own career, you'll find that you'll be able to get better financing. So as far as the numbers are concerned, it's not impossible to get that 1% rule in northern New Jersey. But as long as I'm around there, I know I'm getting a good deal because that's just the way the market is here. Super competitive. Rents are high, but so are property values. So that's just a rule of thumb. But I need to beat my cost of money by about 4%. I used to have a saying, I don't get out of bed for less than 10%. You know, the famous supermodel said she didn't get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. Mm -hmm. I used to say I never get out of bed for less than 10% on a deal. So, But it doesn't always work out that way, especially now that the market's a lot higher. And it's 10% annualized cash on cash over the lifetime of the project, including the exit, or is it just cash flow? Just cash flow. Just cash flow. As far as the exit is concerned, I don't necessarily project appreciation. It's kind of like a happy accident that that happened. I never used to even think about it, really, because I thought we'd be in a slump forever. Or at least I just played my cards that way because it was a lot safer to do it that way. And then one day you wake up and you've got all this equity. And I'm like, well, it's time to start pulling this out. And I've been able to pull out my money plus on a lot of my deals, which has been really nice. So talk to us a little bit about the numbers on this two-family house. You're buying it for 310000 And then what's the rent roll come out at right now? And then how much are you going to put into it? The rent roll right now is very low, but the tenants are probably leaving. They've stated that, which I kind of knew before we went in there. So the current rent roll is, I think, 2500 which is not a lot. Renovated, those units rent for about 1600 for the first floor and 1800 for the second floor. So 3400 Okay. So renovating the units economically and putting in the new heat system, I'll probably put in another $40,000. I mean, for three fifty, And I'm pretty close to that 1% rule. And in this particular area, again, a lot of people don't pay attention to the New Jersey market, but there are some areas of explosive growth, specifically in Jersey City, which I think has been one of the hottest in the entire country, but nobody pays attention to it. So I know that my property is worth a lot more than I paid for it, which is nice too. So I'll be in and around that 1% rule. You said you got an oil tank removal quote. How much? Here's what I did. And in the book, I talk about some of the nightmares I've had where like, the property is an oil tank. I don't care. It's going to be $2,500 to pull out. But if that thing's leaking, you could be looking at thirty, forty, fifty $50,000 and there goes your entire project. And that did happen to me once. So now the owner of this particular house is like, oh, I don't know if there's an oil tank. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to pay for an oil sweep. $200 for a tank sweep, fine. They discover a tank. Now, before I close, I decided I wanted to do a soil test as well, which I paid for out of pocket. Another $600, they put it in. And then at that point, they're able to tell me that the tank is not leaking 
and they give me a guarantee on the tank and it's going to be another $2,500 plus because the tank was pre-filled, it's going to be another $900, whatever, all this nonsense. It's going to cost me about $5,000 to move the tank. But that's a lot better than $30,000. And then when you wake up to a surprise like that, that ruins your entire project. Is that common in that area to have oil tanks? Far more common than not. Hmm. Eight out of 10 houses built before, let's say 1960, which is most of the housing stock in northern New Jersey. This place has been developed and lived in for a long time. These aren't new communities. Anything built before 1960, you should definitely do a tank sweep on, especially a lot of stuff is turn of the century. So this house was built in 1911, for example, that tank might be 100 years old. Because mm. for some reason, they thought it was a good idea to bury these things underground as opposed to just sticking it in the basement where if it leaks, it doesn't cause an environmental disaster. And Very it, common. It's, and, and, it's cost you twenty to 30000 on that environmental disaster scenario before? Yeah, it has. Yeah, I had to abandon the project. That and there were some break-ins there. And that was actually my worst deal ever. It was because of that oil tank and a couple of other things that happened, I wound up having to cough up a property. What were the couple other things that happened on that worst deal ever? Again, this is something that was a little bit earlier in my career, and I bought it on an auction website. I didn't check it out. It was fully occupied, so you couldn't get in, which is the case in most auction properties. You won't necessarily have interior inspection. There were a lot of break-ins, and they came in and they destroyed the work that we had done. One time I come in, I see the side doors busted open. I see that they've torn out some copper. They've torn out some electric systems. And I go back outside. I see the cops. I wave them down. I'm like, hey, officer, officer, come here. Like, I've been robbed. And he comes into the house and he looks around with me. I'm like, okay, I'd like to file a report. And the cop's like, could you not? It's just more paperwork for me. And we're not going <laughs> to cash the guys anyway. I'm like, seriously? Yeah, don't bother. I'm just going to submit the report and we're not going to talk to you ever again. So <laughs> I, I didn't even submit the report. And the damage at that point, I think, was probably less than deductible. So I just had to eat it. And we were just having all sorts of problems with one of the subcontractors didn't pull permits. They shut us down. That property was a nightmare. That was the worst case scenario, I think. But the bulk of that was that oil tank which cost me $30,000. Based on your experience as a real estate investor for almost a decade, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think the best advice I've ever received probably came from my commodities trading days. My boss would always say, know your downside. The upside always takes care of itself, especially in a rising market. It's easy to make money, but you need to know what you can lose, what could go wrong. And they say you don't know what you don't know, but you better know what you can know, what can go wrong like an oil tank, like problems with break-ins, bad neighborhoods, foundation issues, things that you can detect before you buy a property. So if your downside risk doesn't include all those things, you need to rethink your numbers and how you're going about this business. And also if you're investing money that you can't afford to lose and the worst case scenario does happen, you probably shouldn't be investing at this point in your life. We're gonna do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, let's go. All right, let's go. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. All right, Alan, best ever book you've recently read? Against the Gods by Peter Bernstein. It's a book about the history of insurance. Really interesting. More interesting than it sounds. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about already? 
How about the time in Atlanta when I was at a tax deed auction and I thought I was buying a single family house and I didn't read the parcel number correctly at the auction. So I wound up bidding on what was actually the common area of a condo development, basically the driveway to get into the condo development with a separately deeded plot. And that's what I bought, which is basically worthless. I can't sell it. So I was coming up with all these crazy ways how I'm going to make my money back. Oh, well, I'll just build a toll and the people who live there will have to pay me a toll to get to their house. Like that's crazy, <laughs> illegal. But it turned out I got bailed out big time because somebody was foreclosing on the entire HOA and the entire condo development and they needed my parcel to complete the transaction. So I actually got my 20% penalty. Whereas I thought I lost $40,000 and wound up making a little money. The 20% of the purchase price, so I think it was about $40,000. I made eight grand instead of losing 40. Doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> uh, I would have liked to have seen you try to implement the toll for people to come in and out of their condo. Don't think I didn't think about it. <laughs> no, I know you did. You clearly did. <laughs> What's been the best ever deal you've done? I like to think of that one as my luckiest. Therefore, it's my best. But the best deals, and, and they happen more than once, is when I was able to buy a property. Specifically, I'm thinking of one in Jersey City, which is actually around the corner from the one I bought last week. And I bought it for next to nothing and renovated it. And now I'm pulling out like 120% of my money, which that's the, the holy grail of real estate is if you can do that. So on that particular property, that's what's happening now. And then I'll have that capital to reinvest in a similar property. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? One thing I really like to do is I like to talk to newbies, people who are just getting involved in the industry and give them advice. And I'm always happy to do it. That's really why I wrote the book. I barely make any money off this, believe me. You buy it from Amazon, I make like four bucks. It's not going to make or break my life. But I really do enjoy educating new investors about some of the pitfalls in this industry, ways you can go wrong, and how I got to where I am because I want to see them get to where I am as well. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and get in touch with you? I like to be reached on Bigger Pockets. It's obviously a great forum. My name's right there, Alan Schlaufbrock. You can connect with me there. I've got a LinkedIn page as well. And on Facebook, I'm at OG Property Investments. Occasionally, I post things there. I don't bombard people's feed with a thousand inspirational quotes a day. I'm not interested in that. But I do like to keep in touch with people, and I'm happy to talk to people. I think it would be a good investment of time and money to get your book, How to Not Make Money in Real Estate. Thank you for sharing that. I've thoroughly enjoyed these stories with the oil tank removal with the three-family home, with the deals that you are making money on and you have made a lot of money on, and how you're approaching the transaction. So thank you for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs, Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.